Today's chat is brought to you by the support of all our Twitch subscribers. Through the patronage you provide the Focus Fire chat team through the Twitch platform, we are able to provide you with the weekly podcast as well as the website and other aspects of Focus Fire chat. If you have any interest in becoming a subscriber of the FFC and gaining access to some exclusive features over in the Discord server, please be sure to visit our Twitch account and click on the subscribe button. If you're an Amazon Prime member, remember that you do have a free subscription to Twitch every month that can be used for this. And for those of you who are already subscribers... Thank you again for your generosity. You may have heard the whispers of guardians gathering in the shadows, exploring the mysteries of this world and the worlds which surround us. We are all in search of truth. Sometimes we need to focus that search, focus that fire. And so we come together. Join us. Join the discussion. Welcome to Focused Fire Chat. Welcome back for episode 134 of Focus Fire Chat, recorded live on June 15th over on twitch.tv slash Chat. As always, want to give a big shout out to our live chat here with us tonight. Thank you so much for joining us once again. Our topic for tonight's episode is going to be a look at the Fry Files. But first, let's run through a quick introduction of those on the show for tonight. As always, this is your host, Blue Crew 86 We also have with us the man who has been said has the voice of a flower, an individual who goes by many different names, Justin Sane 0516. Justin, what guys do you have on for us tonight? Oh. <sighs> I'm so embarrassed. I'm just going to have to go by Justin tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I completely. I was too busy actually prepping for the show. Well, okay. That's acceptable. And making we should an do, awesome name tag. We should do that more yeah. often, Justin. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. And also, I took a nap before. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, yes. we have our own master of social media. The one and only Green Eye music lover. Green, hope you're doing well. How has the week treated you so far? I've got a giant whiteboard that's four foot by eight foot, and I've already filled it up with everything about Marasov I can think of, and it's going to get worse from here, guys. Mm-hmm. Worse <laughs> the mm-hmm. better. Yes. Because mm-hmm. Seth Dickinson <laughs> is kind of a jerk face and tweeted and then, out something and then deleted and, it. And oh, then that, suddenly... Yeah. Yeah, that. that and then tweet. suddenly, Green has her own show, and it's called Always Sunny in Green Adelphia no, or something. No, <laughs> no. Green Adelphia. It's always Lord green in knows. Colorado. Well, oh. yes, but that's not. Uh, <laughs> Moving on. Are you the fighter of the nightmare? <laughs> before we get in trouble with that comment. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, rounding out the usual team, we have the grizzly bearded cultivator of Spinfoil himself, Beard Grizzly. Beard, how are you doing tonight? Well, apparently I'm doing okay, considering I've been off social media for a day, and I've suddenly got my snark back. In addition, (laughs) I have apparently been, over the course of the last just about a year now, been able to get into Green's mind enough that she is now on the level that I am, which is absolutely wonderful. So, uh, you know, (laughs) misery likes company. This is basically my life now. I messaged him um, randomly during the week, like, hey, hey, I've got a crazy idea. Here yeah, and, 
And all of a sudden, I'm just like, that's fine, but I probably had it already, so feel free to try. No, the the truly scary one is when she gets you with one that you haven't had already. Yes. And then I'm just like, no, no, Green, you've gone too far. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, Clovis Bray one, the Osiris Clovis Bray one was one you hadn't had. Yeah, that's true. But that was look, a good one, no. too. That was, like, a, that was a good one. Stuff, I already had stuff that was going on with that. What are you talking about? I got raspberry that last time. I deserved that. <laughs> so much. So unwrap. how do we carry on from the show from the year? So, so anyways, last week we asked the community, what was the most important thing we learned from the concierge AI or AKA the Fry Files? Uh, the responses are in. And since this is kind of a topic that's near and dear to green, I'm going to let her take over. Well, as far as like the the numbers go, everyone was pretty excited about the exoscience information at 65%. And 24% said Rasputin's capabilities was the next highest is what they found interesting hmm. or most important. Then Ngram Technology and Warset Network were kind of behind everything, which I kind of expected the those two exoscience and Rasputin capabilities to be the top two. What I didn't expect was that exoscience being the number one in the poll was not the most talked about things in the actual comments below. The most talked about thing <laughs> underneath was about the trolley problem or the, tr- what is it? The trolley, the tro- trolley problem. Yep. Tro- yeah. Trolley broken again. No, yes. not, not, not little cart, big cart. This is the trolley. Oh, different, different, oh, okay. different one, different one. But, the f- I Justin, um, I can't even. I'm having. I'm, I'm a little broken right now because I'm like, did he really just go to a children's book? Anyway, um, most like I had more traction about the trolley problem and what it is, and people people going back and forth on whether or not Rasputin is. It's a good thing that he has been able to supposedly surpassed the trolley problem that i think if you don't mind can we talk about that for the lost lore this week yes i have two and a half pages on the history and the trolley problem that i dug up from my that that was actually a topic in one of our seminars when i was in college so yeah i think i have my my own opinions of this one yeah oh god justin (laughs) i i appreciate that but I, I am also shaking my head at you for that. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I was I was planning on taking that as the lost lore and trying to explain not just not just what it is, but also where it comes from and and why. Though it seems like Rasputin can arguably say that they've solved it, that's actually not a solvable dilemma, mm-hmm. which is actually the the point of it. Is there there is no right or wrong answer? Well, arguably. Okay. So before we get into that, can I give the question of the week for next week? Yeah, let's do that. So next week's question of the week, since we're doing Aries 1, like the breakdown of the Aries 1 lore, the question is, what do you think actually happened to Evie? And if you remember going through Aries 1, if you haven't gone through Aries 1, please go look through it because they're... Originally were four members of the Ares One team, Evie being one of them, and something happens to her before the actual launch day 
and we don't exactly know what. So we kind of want to hear what your take is on what happened to her. So that is the question. What do you think happened to Evie? Perfect. And so as always, be sure to sound off. I know Green will get that up on Twitter and in our Discord server as usual. So be sure to let us know your thoughts. And I know everyone here is looking forward to diving into discussion, especially as we kind of were just talking about the trolley problem aspect. So let's run through our standard intro notes and then we'll get right into it. In our last episode of Focus Fire Chat, we discussed the Worm Gods. If you ever miss an episode and would like to catch up, please be sure to check out FocusFireChat.com for archives, articles, and links to the other aspects of Focus Fire Chat. If you don't mind, please rate and, if you can, review the show on iTunes, Podbean, or whichever podcasting app you use to enjoy podcasts. Reviews are extremely helpful as they not only let us know what we can do better, but help us stay on the charts, which helps others find our amazing community. To those of you who have already taken the time to leave us a review, thank you again. As many of you already know, Focus Fire Chat is a cross-community gathering where the intent is to offer a week-long, in-depth view of a particular subject from within the lore of Destiny and other games. This chat begins every Tuesday morning and runs until the following Tuesday, with topics decided by the group via a poll that begins every Friday and ends on the Tuesday morning of the new chat. Every Friday at around 10 p.m. Central, we get together to stream a high-level summary of the previous week's chat for those who are unable to participate. Please be sure to also give some support to the other podcasts in the Guardian Radio Network, links of which can be found in our show notes or on our website. If you're a fan of lore in all its various forms, be sure to also check out thelorenetwork.com, where you can find a wide variety of some amazing content covering a number of different titles and mediums. Our next chat is going to be a discussion on the updates to the Ares 1 story. And as always, please be sure to weigh in on the poll this weekend to let us know which topic you want to discuss after that. Links to that poll can be found on either Twitter, at FocusFireChat, or within our Discord server. With all this being said, here's Green with a high-level summary of tonight's topic. The Clovis Bray Corporation is the leading innovator of the most prosperous time of human history. We are proud to serve you, and proud of those of you within our ranks. Every day we're finding new applications for engrams that will make your life easier. At Clovis Bray, we're pushing the boundaries of computer science by utilizing the power of the engram. Human mind in a mechanical body. We are at the cusp of major breakthroughs in making this a reality. Clovis Bray is pushing the limits of computer science and engineering to secure humanity's future. Our Warm Mind Project is a groundbreaking defense AI. Machines and morality. Within five decades, we hope to relinquish full autonomy of our defense network to Rasputin. But can we trust an artificial intelligence to make the moral decision? Darkery? Sleeper Simulant, Hades Flame, Aurora Knives. The weapons of the future are being developed by the Wormind Rasputin today. From Mercury to the other planets, Clovis Bray provides the most robust communication network in the system. Our WarSat Networks watches over us all. Before we jump into the information and thoughts that the community had about the Fry Files, however, let's have a quick chat about this week's Lost Lore. 
All right, guys. So as we were saying, we were going to plan on doing the trolley problem as part of the lost lore. And so really, honestly, the trolley problem is not admittedly part of the lore in game insofar as what I'm going to be talking about, but it does have some relevance to it. Uh, there is actually a weapon uh, that you'll see, I think, from Destiny 1, and I believe that is on Destiny Armory Defined. I'll get the link for that in the show notes as well. But the real the real kind of meat of this entire conversation, I really kind of want to focus on the actual history of the trolley problem. Uh, the trolley problem is actually a specific, uh, it's, it's called an ethical thought experiment. Uh, and there's, there's several of these, but it, it entire purpose is to highlight the difference between what's called deontological and consequentialistic ethical systems. Uh, so to break that down just a little bit, uh, a deontological uh, ethical system is a ethical position that judges morality of an action based on rules. So something that's abstract and outside of of a uh, emotional state. Whereas consequentialism is an is the ethical theory that holds the consequences of one's conduct as the ultimate basis for any judgment. So basically, you are judged by the consequence of your action, not by an abstract set of rules. And so these these two ethical models are often very very often held in opposition to each other. Uh, there there are a few times where they will cross and kind of they color each other's influence, but it's usually they're usually very very exclusive to one another. Uh, the central question of the trolley problem, which I'm going to get to here in a second, is that this dilemma is basically meant to bring to light is whether or not it is right to actively inhibit the utility of an individual if doing so produces a greater utility of other individuals. So <clears throat> to kind of step back and, and look at the, the trolley problem, the first time that we really actually kind of saw the trolley problem in any form or fashion kind of in history uh, or at least recorded, was back in uh, 1905, uh, and this is at the University of Wisconsin. And basically what was what was going on here was they were giving a class a moral questionnaire, uh, which was a very, very common thing at the time for uh, uh, college-level courses at this point in, in history. Um, and there was this the question at in 1905 that Wisconsin, the University of Wisconsin was using is actually not the one that we're very familiar with. Uh, the one that we are familiar with is called the general form or the original, it's, it's, uh, the variation is called the original switch. Uh, and this was actually introduced it to the world in 1967 by Philippa Foote. Uh, and this is the problem, the, the, the phrasing of the problem is there is a runaway trolley barreling down the railroad tracks. Ahead, on the tracks, there are five people tied up and unable to move. The trolley is headed straight for them. You are standing some distance in the train yard next to a lever. If you pull this lever, the trolley will switch tracks. However, you notice that there is one person tied up on the side track. You have two options. First option is do nothing and the trolley kills the five people on the main track. The second option is you pull the lever, you divert the trolley onto the sidetrack where it will kill one person, which is the most ethical choice. And this is, so that's the general form. The University of Wisconsin presented a very similar situation with the caveat that the single person on the sidetrack was actually the switchman's child. So by diverting the trolley, you would save the five people, but you would be basically killing your own child. Um, 
you also saw a discussion uh, by a legal or a, um, a political thought process, thought camp, thought camp thing uh, from Hans Wenzel in 1951. Uh, it was very more, it was much more similar to the general form. Um, and then it wasn't actually, so actually, so this was introduced in 1967. This was like when it kind of really took root and we actually see a lot of variations of this, which I'm going to get to in just a second. But there's a lot of different variations. It wasn't actually until 2001 that we actually started using this as empirical research on uh, a branch of psychology called moral psychology. And really what this is is doing is this this is tying back into that deontological and consequentialistic ethical dilemma, right? It's trying to find out, is there actually, is there a right answer to this? And the other thing that we see this very, very commonly used, especially in today's world, is in the um, ethics of the what's called the ethics of design within autonomous vehicles, um, which is basically, and that's going to be a really easy way to segue back into the discussion about Rasputin here in a second. But first, what I actually wanted to do, I'm going to put a couple people on the spot. Um, so, Green, are you are you still present? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give you a very I'm going to give you one of the variations, and I want your answer to it. Okay. Are you ready? Okay. So as as before, we have a trolley that's hurtling down a track towards five people. You are on a bridge under which the trolley is going to pass, and you can stop it by putting something very heavy in front of it. As it so happens, there is a very fat man next to you, and your only way to stop the trolley is to push him over the bridge and onto the track, killing him to save the five. Would you proceed? I don't know anything about this man. If this man was a doctor per se. Nope, nope. You have like just, I can't that's all I get. That's all you get. Yep. What is what is the most ethical <sighs> choice within that that scenario? I hate I really hate this. Oh yeah, no. Um, and, and, it, it's, mm-hmm, and this mm-hmm. is the, the so here is here's the thing is that this dilemma is meant to make people uncomfortable. Right. Because you and and there are, so and this is called the this variation is called the fat man. Uh, there's there's a couple of variations on this one. I, 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 this is one of the ones. This is actually to to um, kind of back Green's discomfort and hesitation up. This is actually the most difficult one. Uh, for for whatever reason, this variation of the dilemma is the most difficult one for people to answer. You because to, you're the one physically pushing another person in right, a way. Because because of the actual the actual oh, act of yeah, I mean te- yeah yeah it's it's the actual act that you are actively pushing someone onto a track. I think for me, I would I would not push the man onto the track because there is the ch- off chance that the person further down the five people further down would have a chance to get off the track. No, oh, well, and I guess in the in the context they are tied down. Like there's no it's it's okay. like one or the other. It's 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 literally the Yeah, it's literally one man. It's yeah, it's it's literally it's always so no matter what the variation, it will always be a choice between one person and five people. Like that's that's yeah. that's the ultimatum that is con- uh the only constant in all of these variations. That's always the ratio is one person dies or five people die. So it's killing by omission or killing like by actual activation. Yes. So and that and that actually ties into the original dilemma uh, foot 
who was the again 1967 this is the gentleman who kind of introduced this into uh into publicized view actually uh went on to say that this is really kind of pointing to the the entire debate between ulterianism and um uh, what's usually called like a debate on the inconsumerability incom, of human lives. Um, so it, it also kind of ties into the idea of moral obligation. Uh, mm-hmm. So an ultimatarian position would say uh, you would kill the one person because the five right. people, the five people, five is greater than one. One is a lesser, is the quote unquote lesser evil. Um, a lot of people would argue that since moral wrongs are already in place, uh, you would just not participate, um, because by participating, you become an active participant, like by participating in the problem, Mm -hmm. you actually are taking on the moral issue responsibility. Right. And then on the flip side though, also under some interpretations of moral obligation, simply by being present and being able to influence the outcome, you, you have an obligation to participate. Um, Mm -hmm. And so then if you believe in that, you know, in that case, doing nothing would actually be the moral, the, the more immoral act because, but, and so it's, but there, there's that discomfort, that discomfort is really, really there. Um, Another one is, so there's another variation of the fat man. It's called the fat villain. Uh, It's the exact same situation as the fat man variation, but the fat man is the villain who put the five on the track. Well, then that one, that decision seems to be much easier to make oh, it's, because it, yeah. it's a retribution. It's a right. It's uh, arguably, it's arguably not just justifiable, but almost even an imperative to push mm-hmm. him into it. Um, and so, so we have the original switch, which is the the original situation. The fat man, the fat villain. We have a a variation called the loop. And so what happens on this one is, as before, the trolley is hurtling down a track towards five people. Again, you can divert it onto a secondary track. However, in this variant, the secondary track later rejoins the main track. So diverting the trolley will still actually leave it on a track, which leads to the five people. But the person on the secondary track is a fat person who is, when he is killed by the trolley, will stop it from continuing onto the five people. So do you flip the switch on that situation? Justin, your turn. Wow, we just a lot of body shaming going on in this. I, 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 I was writing, I was writing all the notes from this, and I was like, "Wow, this this guy really had a problem with like it. It, it does. It actually does. There's a lot of things of like, well, it's a fat well, person. I'm like, what? Well, why honestly, is this? Why honestly, is this part of the conversation? You can tell how how old this this. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Ethical this ethical exercise is just by the by the premises. Um, so let me, let me kind of, I was kind of hung up on kill the fat people. So, um, (laughs) which which admittedly in today's world that, that is like, I mean, like I said, when I was writing all these down, all these variations, I was like, there's a lot of like, like I'm, I'm uh, almost more uncomfortable writing that it's a fat person than the entire like hypothetical dilemma. I don't know. I don't know why that is, but yeah, that's Um, interesting. Well, I know. Yeah. Um, that that's another conversation, but it um, is another conversation. Uh, so basically, what you're saying is, I divert, I divert the the trolley away from the path that will kill five, and it will kill one, which will stop the trolley 
from killing the five. Right. Right. I I honestly don't see how that how that um how that scenario is any different from the first one where you're basically it's, diverting it from it, the outcomes the same. You don't have to physically push the man under the track though. That's no, the difference. No, it's, it's not the no, same. No, but it's, it's not, not it's it's very man. It's the same as the original, the original It's the one. same as the original, mm. which is pretty mm. much there's five on this track, one on this track, and basically you send them from the five-man track to the one-man track. Mm-hmm. The only difference being that now we've involved a, a, a large person. Um, <laughs> it's really, it really, honestly, that is the only difference here, is that that and it's an um, extra piece of track, which it's... Like reading reading the um, the breakdowns of these variations, it's kind of actually kind of funny. Like reading the people's like, why are we talking about a different variant of this? Like it it's the exact same. Um, here I'm I'm actually uh pull this from a from a movie I watched the other day. This is this is a very hard decision to for anyone to be asked to made to to be asked to make. But um, asking someone with no preparation, it's it's a very it's a very tough ask. Um, and my gut which is why, is to, to say, be fair, I didn't tell any of the people on the show that I was going to ask them. Yeah, yeah. So um, you know, my gut reaction is to say I would save the five, but it's a very it's a very tough one. Have you ever have you ever seen the movie? Uh, um, Oh, God, it's American Sniper. It's the mm-hmm. Chris, mm-hmm. Chris Kyle story. Mm-hmm. The the scene where the where the the young kid picks up the RPG, yeah, and aims it at, at yeah that that right there. That's that's the modern day trolley problem right there. Um, you know, basically, if you're if you're not familiar with the movie, he's a he's a sniper and he's on Overwatch for for his unit. And it's a true story. It really happened. Uh, I'm not sure if it happened exactly like that, but basically he shoots a grown man with a with an RPG that's aiming down at his men in a Humvee, and after he does, a small child runs up and picks up the RPG. He's drawn down on the child from a distance and knows he has a choice. He can either kill the child or the, the child could potentially, you know... Um, you know, kill multiple American soldiers. So he deliberates on it and eventually doesn't pull the trigger. And the kid puts down the RPG and runs off. So by luck, he made the right decision, but that's, that's what we call a lose lose. Right. There's, there's not many good, good choices there. Right. And so the last, much of an answer, but... no, no, it's, it's, it's a, it's a fair point. Um, and so the last variation of the trolley, so there's two more variations I'm going to talk about. The last one that deals with the trolley is called the man in the yard. Um, and this is the same situation as before. A trolley is hurling down a track towards five people, except in this one, you can divert its path by colliding another trolley into it. However, if you do that, both will be derailed and go down a hill into a yard where a man is sleeping in a hammock and be killed. Should you proceed with that? So there's a there's a caveat there in which the argument is okay well the guy's sleeping. So it's you know again kind of the the different nuances of this one. Now here's here's the last one that I am I I 
love it and I hate it at the same time because to me it's it's really more clear, I guess, in a moral path. But this is called the transplant variation. And so this variation is called, it basically says, a brilliant transplant surgeon has five patients, each in need of a different organ, each of whom will die without that organ. Unfortunately, there are no organs available to perform any of these five transplant operations. A healthy young traveler just passing through the city where the doctor works in comes in for a routine checkup. In the course of doing the checkup, this doctor discovers that his organs are compatible with all five of his dying patients. Suppose further that if the young man were to disappear, no one would suspect the doctor. Do you support the morality of the doctor to kill the tourist and provide his healthy organs to those five dying persons and save their lives? Beard. Tag. (laughs) Uh, I would, I would have to go no, but that's also my, right. that's, that's definitely my upbringing in that respect. Like, and yes, I'm, there's I'm, a lot of very, mm-hmm. like, awful situations that can occur from that. And yes, it is terrible that people are uh, in those predicaments, if you will, that yes, we have other, other donors that may exist that are fun and healthy and so on. But overall, I would say, no, there's, there's no reason to. Plus kill somebody Hmm? you're forgetting the most important reason well there's liam neeson will come and get you well yeah there there might there might also be that uh there's also the hippocratic oath of course where a doctor should not be going against that at all either uh Mm -hmm. and i would uh i would say that that's a major thing that uh would would cause a lot of questions in that regard uh like that's uh that might just be you losing your practice worthy might be well and that's uh, where it kind of goes back into that one. well that goes back to you know again the caveat is it's the it's the uh plato you know presentation if you have a ring that allows you to do whatever you want without repercussions what would you do right you know it's that situation of like you can do whatever you want and you have no repercussions would you do this and would you not? And and that's and again, I see chat chat right now is like these chats not enjoying this. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I want to go back and point out this is the purpose of the trolley problem. Right. It is meant. It is designed specifically to make you uncomfortable and to make you push those boundaries in what's called uh, it's it's called moral psychology. It's it's challenging your moral decisioning making. And it's it's trying to push and see exactly where, and that's why in two thousand one, uh, jo- uh, Joshua Green uh, was the one who actually started publishing the results. And this is like in, I mean, it's fascinating reading some of. The, I mean, there there are significant like psychological trauma from some people in these situations because it is that uncomfortable. Um, mm-hmm. Now to. Uh, to be uh inter- to kind of wrap this up a little bit in 2009 they did a survey and they published this actually in 2013 um seven nearly 70% of professional philosophers would switch the case of the trolley problem 8% would not switch and then of course you had a 24% who welcome to philosophy have a different view or could not answer mm-hmm um, so, I mean, to kind of put it in perspective, 
that kind of puts that kind of presents the bell curve of those answers there. Uh, and this is with the original dilemma. You had about 70% of people who would switch. You had 8% who would not switch. And then roughly about 24 who uh, chose differently or would not answer. Mm-hmm. Now, we're going to try to kind of bring this back in to our conversation on the concierge AI. And the reason why this is a... Uh, this was a really hot topic, actually. There was a lot of a lot of discussion on this one, um, mm-hmm. and one of the reasons why is this is a really really popular topic of debate when it comes to autonomous vehicles, and mm-hmm. the reason why is because ultimately, if you have something that is autonomous, um, and this is going to be this is where you start seeing things called like the moral machine, which is a, a MIT Media Lab invention. Um, autonomous vehicles have to make a decision like that's Mm -hmm. the purpose of them so literally replace the trolley with your car and you're not in control of your car and if you're in a lose-lose situation in this in this type of world what is the car how does the car make that decision what is the what is the value that the car places on the different variables and the variables appear being human lives and how does that how is that reflected on the responsibility of not just the person who is in the car at the time but also the person who has designed the car and has written all the logarithms that is doing all these calculations and that's kind of where we see a, a kind of a segue back into the concierge ai and especially with and i can't remember the uh Alton Dynamo. Thank you. Um, Dynamo. The Alton Dynamo one. Mm-hmm. Um, where we see the creators of Rasputin himself. And actually, it's also the... Is it the Machine Child? Is that the lore entry that you... That um, mentions the... The Venus... I... The Venus pleasure craft? I think so. But there's oh, there's yeah, another yeah, yeah. there's another yeah. lore entry that yeah. that is actually a del- like a actual exact replica of the trolley problem within Rasputin's world. But this is where you see a a, a transference from reality into the game world here, in that they are you know they are basically washing their hands of responsibility by saying we don't understand it, but he makes these decisions. And so, and and that's kind of where the trolley problem. So, going back just to reiterate really quick, the trolley problem again. It's a ethical uh, thought experiment that is really the entire intent is to push and create a dilemma between you know whether or not it's right to actively inhibit, which is basically you actively switch, you actively inhibit the utility of an individual, or or actively inhibit the utility of an individual if doing so produces a greater utility for other individuals. So in this situation, if you do nothing, you kill five people. Or if you do nothing, five people die. But if you switch, one person dies and five people live. And that is where the discomfort is supposed to come from, and that's where the question is, what is the most ethical choice? It's a lose-lose situation. There is no option there is no third option. You know, there's a lot of people who like try to get cute with it and like, Oh, well, no, it's like, the point is, is that it's a lose, lose situation. And the question is, the question is, which one is the more ethical? Okay. 
can we <laughs> we'll so with that, that with one. that yes with yeah. that let's something let's, let's let's get back into something more comfortable um and a little bit more enjoyable yeah like the by internet. the way side note do, am i the only one who pictures that the venusian pleasure crafts are going to flossed in paradise <laughs> am i the only one <laughs> Do they have cats with uh, jelly toast on them? Constantly spinning. Lilu Dallas multipass. Um, multipass. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I mean, and the and the reason we kind of dove into the trolley problem is that I think we had a repeated request to kind of explain what the trolley problem is. Mm-hmm. Um, and Via so, Twitter. All right. So yeah, with with that being said, I'm gonna let Green lead us back into something a little bit more comfortable. Okay, so there are, I believe, what is it, six, six different, one, two, three, four, seven, seven different uh, yes. concierge files. I really only count six because the first one doesn't give us a whole lot of information. It is literally a welcome to Clovis Bray. You are Clovis Bray. I mean, it's. It's the first one that you, as soon as you land outside of the area that has Anna Bray and everything, and why am I blanking? Is it Futurescape? Yes, Braytech Futurescape. Right. So you land there, you walk forward, and slightly to the left, there is the first little terminal. And it just is a welcome message from Mr. Fry, Stephen Fry, even though he's not necessarily called anything in there. This is technically the second time we've heard him in game because the first time we hear him is during the and the mission. I think pilgrimage. No, it's not pilgrimage. What is the mission name? It's a mission where Anna Bray gets all techy techy and she actually logs in and upload like wakes up the Clovis Bray facility. You hear Stephen Fry's voice, the voice actor, greet Anna Bray at that point. So we have that one, which is, I, there's not a whole lot in there. It's just the, you are Clovis Bray. We're challenging you to make humankind better, to reach higher. You are part of a, an important moment in history. You are Clovis Bray. Very simple, very standard. Is there anything that you guys think I missed? Because that 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 card is like the most cut dry of all of them, I think. Yeah. I think you got it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Time to move on to some of the more intense ones. Core Terminus. This is the exoscience one. This is the one that you see when you go down into the lost sector. And it talks about exoscience as well as that lost sector being covered in all sorts of exoscience little tidbits. Justin, do you want to do the... The core terminus one? Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to. Awesome. Um, All right. The human mind and the mechanical body. We are at the cusp of major breakthroughs in making this a reality. Would you like to know more? Early experiments in exoscience managed to encode the human consciousness into a form that could be processed digitally. At the time, we believed that was the big hurdle to overcome in the creation of the exo. Little did we know that the real challenge would be the phenomenon known as disassociative exomind rejection. Nascent proto-exos developed serious symptoms of cognitive disorder that eventually led to death. It turned out that the human mind would not reconcile its presence in a new body. 
It took multiple iterations in design, but the Clovis Bray Corporation eventually developed several solutions. The first is to reboot the mind once it has been transferred, allowing it to awaken inside its new shell as though it was being reborn. This has had side effects of memory loss and fragmentation, but it's highly effective in the prevention of DER. The reboot process can be repeated multiple times to further the odds of survival. It is not currently known how many times a human consciousness can be rebooted, but scientists estimate it to be around 20. The second preventative measure to DERs is to program certain humanisms within exos. As machines, they have not the physical needs to eat or reproduce like humans, but artificially injecting that drive has been clinically proven to reduce the odds of DER. Further experimentation is required to perfect the EXO project, but you can be assured that Clovis Bray is at the forefront of the field in EXO science. Yeah, I love this one. Real quick on this one, actually, because I don't know if this just hit me or if I'm thinking about it off and on. It does say uh, to the measure of, let me just read the line here again now that I have it up. Uh, Further experimentation is required to perfect the EXO project, but you can be assured that Clovis Bray is at the forefront of the field of EXO science. Just that last line. Uh, are we to conclude that these uh, the information that we have is, I guess, as uh, up to date as possible for Clovis Bray, or is this stuff out of date? And what I mean by that is, do the are the EXOs that we have that have been quote unquote mass produced or uh, put together, are they effectively the end result of everything that they've done, or are they just that other step in design? Because I know for some people, some have said how Anna has her, her eyes and everything, and I'm still of the opinion that they're more contact lenses than they are anything else. Mm -hmm. uh, are we to assume that possibly she is a, a, a fully developed EXO, perhaps? Because I know some people have like that that connotation and idea uh or or is it literally that the exos that we have are are just stepping stones and they decided to go forward and experiment on humanity effectively to have uh, a generation one version of an exo and then they would have a gen two gen three and all of a sudden you get sunny out in the world uh by robot reference for anybody that right. uh wants that little look up anyway that's that's what i was just kind of thinking I mean, as far as keeping it up to date, these are introduction panels. These, I don't think, would have the latest information, especially with some of the top secret stuff that we know was happening with Clovis Bray. Not necessarily with exoscience, but we know the SIVA, all the SIVA experiments that were going on in some of the different areas, those were not well known. And so something like this, where it is an introduction either to tourists or to actual workers there, which is what it kind of reads as, probably would not have the most up-to-date information, or at least it wouldn't expose information that would be possibly stolen, I guess would be a way to put it. I guess my only big hang-up with that would be if exos were out and about in the world and they were either getting to be more commonplace or more understood. Because uh, one of the, the, and granted, we don't have a lot that goes behind it, unfortunately, with like the full creation and how uh, exos were actually like permeated out into uh, society if they were at all. But mm -hmm. 
the thought of them just being a completely under wraps thing. I would figure that at least like one or two might have gone rogue or otherwise and gone out into the world and people are going to look at this thing and go, what the heck is that? Uh, And suddenly they're thinking about Terminator because we all know that the the Terminator movies would actually exist in the Destiny universe, just as a side note. Uh, So all of these things that kind of fall back into this idea of, wow, who started working on what? So if... The thing is to keep in mind the area in which this is. There are no quote-unquote exo-bodies in that area. There's only frames. And in that regard, we we don't know how that body kind of works out. That's the, the largest problem, because we don't know if that is something that is built from, you know, they, they need to have something that is built that is similar to counteract DER of the uh, human that is actually there, or if it's something something else that needs to be built. Like, for instance, the the human consciousness is built and understood to understand a certain body type my body frame is used to my body type. And if I were to have an existential crisis, it would be being transplanted from one body type to another. So Mm -hmm. in that regard, I would figure that you cannot, thanks to DER, if we follow like this idea, create an exo without having a body that is created perfectly to match or something very similar uh, to match the body and frame that you had previously. But that goes very heavily into the thoughts of how DER acts. You know what's something that I think kind of funny about this entry? Hmm. Rip Banshee. Yeah, basically. Friggin' mm-hmm. 20 resets and all of a sudden, nope, <laughs> maybe not. Yeah. You know what What I liked about this uh, entry is um, it explains, you, you remember the question from the Ghost Fragment XO card, which was, uh, you know, what... Why does a war machine have emotions? Mm-hmm. Why should a war machine have awareness? You know, like why, why have these humanisms in a war machine? They're not useful. Um, you can see that these were kind of attempts to, to keep the the exo mind from just going, you know, to the just from going crazy. Right. Yep. I'm going to say that also. It it falls back on the question of. Uh, do do or can exos procreate i suppose which we're not exactly fully sure on that one i guess but it, it's kind of funny how it answers that question besides and side note now i want like zavala to show up in the forsaken and say i want your clothes your boots and your motorcycle oh god no no <laughs> i got that reference yeah yeah me too uh, yeah but, okay. uh, yeah, there's there's a lot more behind this that I think uh, goes into another couple scans, though. But, right. you know, X, the EXO in general, I think that was... This is probably one of the longest ones, though, isn't it? It's one... One I think of this the longers. Is, yeah, it's one of the longer ones, and it also gives us a lot more thought process behind the the science that they're going into. I mean, mm-hmm. this one... this. The DER, the Dissociative Exomind Rejection, right? that is not unlike some of the different things that happen today mm-hmm. with prosthetics and whatnot. Now, granted, prosthetics aren't a thinking machine, but you're still controlling it. And it's like if you lose a limb, you have that ghost feeling that that limb is, limb is still there. Phantom pains. Phantom, yeah. Yes. 
Did you guys, uh, by on that topic, did you guys yeah. see that Ted talk that I sent over? Yes, I did not. They, they have, uh, theoretically resolved that issue. Oh, really? In, in reality. That, yep. They have through the awesome. use, through the use of the cyborg project at MIT, they have gotten to a point where they can fully reinstate, um, prosthetics that you are actually able to sense the the uh, sensation of movement through them so That's it's awesome. just like your legs the uh the case study that they did it on was a rock climber who fell actually in cuba i believe he fell off hmm. a cliff and lost both he lost the use of his one of his uh lower legs and he just recently got back from cuba where with a prosthetic leg he made the climb that he fell from successfully and he, mm. he can feel the entire thing. Like they said, it took him about 45 minutes to uh, calibrate to the prosthetics where normally it takes like weeks because you can't feel it. Yeah, it, it was, yeah, it was a, it was a, te- I think it was a daily talk. So it was only like a 15 minute one, but yeah, it was a really, really fascinating read on, but exactly that exact topic because it's a huge step forward in uh potentiality there for for that exact purpose mm-hmm. for the phantom pain say, and stuff well that's been one of the biggest reasons that we haven't necessarily moved into like uh cybernetics quote-unquote as mm-hmm. a whole because well, we always and, had that worry and right. how the body would reject it and otherwise and the, the so. interesting thing is is like the guy who uh is in charge of the whole thing he has actually got two cybernetic or not cybernetic. He's got two prosthetic legs and he was, his entire thing was if you look at the history of the, the actual science that we as in reality use for this process, Mm -hmm. it has not evolved since the civil war. Like the logic, the logic that they follow for prosthetics is the same logic as far as like how they proceed or how they do the process as it was at that time. So right. it was, yeah. Bone saw and all. Yeah, it was It was yeah. a pretty gruesome talk for that piece of it. But then uh, he turned around and he was talking about like the uh, the cybernetic project and all that. It was a really, it was, it's a really cool one. I'll, I'll be sure to link it in the show notes for anyone who's interested yeah. in that. Do we want to talk about a development in Ingram technology next? Yeah, because this one kind of gives a couple tiebacks towards something that people have been worried about or thinking about, and it's uh, time. So -hmm. think about that as we go along here. Uh, But this one is Core Terminus number two, uh, and you can find it... uh, I'm trying to remember exactly where... Oh, this is is further down. Uh, It's uh, it's outside the one that that houses the one uh, shootable... Yeah, I can't think of what they're called. Anyway. The little the data, the data caches? The yeah. data caches, yeah. Yeah, it's that one with the, the wacky door. Oh, um, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah. Every day, we're finding new applications for engrams that will make your life easier. At Clovis Bray, we're pushing the boundaries of computer science by utilizing the power of the engram. Would you like to know more? Yes, I would like to know more. <laughs> Engineers of the 21st century hit the physical limit in the advancement of silicon transistors. 
unable to resolve the issue of quantum tunneling at the nanoscopic level. The dream of quantum computing danced at the edge of our predecessors' imaginations, somewhere between science and science fiction. Ironically, it would take a further technological leap for us to later return and resolve the messy problems of quantum incoherence. That leap was the first successful encoding of solid matter by Dr. Willa Bray, opening a window to the wonderful and mysterious world of the engram. The latest and most exciting application of this new state of matter is within the field of engrammatic compu uh, computation. Physically encoding con uh, conventional silicon transistors allows them to safely store expo <clears throat> excuse me, uh, exponentially more information in a smaller space. With that breakthrough, our computing power has grown immeasurably, and we can now actualize what was once bound to the dreams of fiction of our ancestors. So, who picked up on the time period? <laughs> Mm -hmm. So, just to make it more obvious, in case anybody missed it, uh, they had mentioned how the engineers of the 21st century hit the physical limit in the advancement of silicon transistors. Now, what's hysterical about this is we're still kind of working with some stuff, but we're also moving some uh, over to copper. So, I'm going to be anxious to see how that actually works out. Uh, the silicon is still what we use a, a good majority of our computers, of course, based off of, however, and it's still, like, pretty much the entirety of the components inside the machine, but we're making some very small advancements. Uh, that said, that is just to kind of outline how big the engram is, uh, and to say that it is something that might be, like, more, well, we see kind of how large they are out in the world and how we stow them. Uh, but what is hidden inside of them, like weapons or even sparrows or otherwise, and then other information besides, like, they they hold a ton. Uh, but the fact that this was something that could have been perceived in the 22nd century, so that would mean that by the year uh, 20, 2100 and above, this might have been something that uh, might have occurred. And then maybe... You know, timeline-wise, this still gives us, like, a 100- to 200-year window to play with, if you will. Mm hmm That uh, might suggest where Destiny, uh, or at least parts of the Golden Age, might have might have been around. So, there you have it. I think that's their little hint for now. Ingrams. I just like that it just also talks about Willa Bray, too. Rom. Yes. It's it's interesting because of all the different things that Willa Bray that we know Willa Bray worked on. The similarities are there to what they do, but mm. at the same time, it's like what is her specialty? Because we know what Everything. Anna's specialty. No, yeah, she, she was a she, Renaissance woman. She's a scary woman, is what mm -hmm. she is. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. Out of all the characters that we've never met in game. She's one I never, I don't think I ever want to meet. So speaking of the trolley problem, I think that <laughs> Willa was a very big pr practitioner of said uh, instance. What? No. She would never. Shirazi, what? Yeah. <laughs> hmm. uh, Somebody having to carry a gun in, uh, yeah. you know, Calvin 18 or something? Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, it was, it was the, that was the sidearm, right? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's, uh, 
It's, I, it's I say Kelvin 18. I think it's 18, 18 Kelvin. 18, yeah. 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 I call it sidearm discard. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say. More like Bungie, please fix. Yes, please. I miss him. <laughs> Me too. Blue, do you want to read the, the morality one since it's uh, yeah. kind of been your baby? Did you want to do that one or were we going to do the Warset Network? Oh, I totally skipped over the Warsat Network. I was all ready to go back to the morality. I mean, I'm I'm game. I'm game. I've, I'm game to go back to morality. I don't know how uncomfortable I made you guys. So, is well, a little bit. It's my job, right? Morality should be a slippery on. subject. Anyways, go back to Warsat. This ghost scan is in Mind Lab, which is this one is not the one that's outside of Rasputin, but it's near Rasputin, isn't it? I'm trying to remember where it's at. Oh, this is um, the one. In, this one is when you go inside, and there's the war set in the middle, hanging yeah. in the center, and you go right. down, and it's on a little platform. Now it's I right remember. before you get towards that elevator proper, basically. Yeah. Exactly. So this one says, from Mercury to the outer planets, Clovis Bray provides the most robust communication network in the system. Our war set network watches over all of us. Would you like to know more? As Beard goes. <laughs> <laughs> As humanity expanded to the far edges of the solar system, communication and logistics grew increasingly difficult among uh, the outer planets. Pioneers of the outer frontier built makeshift transition relays, transmission relays, but these were unreliable and prone to failure. The development of the Warmind program compelled a need for a unified circumstellar communication network, so Clovis Bray sees an opportunity to kill two birds with one exceedingly large stone. We built thousands of war satellites and deployed them throughout the system. These war sats linked with the war mine designate Rasputin and with each other, forming an integrated defense and comm system. Each satellite is equipped with a state-of-the-art kinetic superconductor that shields it from Kessler debris and has an orbital life spanning hundreds of years. No matter what threat lie in store for us, rest assured that Rasputin and the Clovis Bray Warsats will never cease their vigilant watch over humanity. Talk about some timeline things. The hundreds of years? Mm-hmm. That one, that part has always bugged me about this little, the scan. Well, because... and we don't know how long hundreds will, of course, really be, but 900 if it is... Versus... Exactly. Like, mm-hmm. is it are they saying hundred? Like whenever I hear hundreds, I tend to think anywhere between like maybe three hundred to seven hundred, somewhere in that vicinity, because it's a happy medium uh, between it all. But then to some other people, they'll say, "Well, no, they're just trying to make it sound really good, so they're like hyping it up past, uh, you know, it's just underneath a thousand or something like that." Right. We also don't know like what kind of core system these things run on. I don't think. Uh, I, it's obvious that they're not nuclear because if they were, uh, everything it's would just go kaboom. It's it's a raspberry. Pie. It's a raspberry pie. <laughs> we all know this. Come it's on, an, it's, it's an just... engrammatic raspberry <laughs> pie. Oh my god! And it still only costs you thirty five dollars, ladies yeah, and gentlemen. Obviously, um, now they're going to charge absolutely. you. They're going to upcharge you, but yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness, that the that'd funny. be hysterical. God. I mean, we do have some other cards that relate back to the war set mm-hmm. back from D1, like the ACD, uh, ACD oh, feedback yeah. fence. The feedback <laughs> fence is... You yeah. mean the, the best band ever? <laughs> yeah. Yes. 
And then the anomaly card back from right. <laughs> uh, Ghost Rodman, the anomaly where they punch the war set in the center or the. Oh, Ning, the why would you do that? Waning. God. Yeah. And there's like, there's a few more cards. So we've had talks about war set technology. I think just the thing that caught my, caught my eye was the whole, um, the, it seems completely natural that they would try to create a, a communications network because the timing between typical communication between earth mars and it's like what seven minutes one way mm-hmm. currently right. so it would make sense that they would try to figure out a better way to do that but the years that that is the thing in this car that kind of jolts me back to reality within the game like okay how many years has it actually been since then well, and the other thing on the on the concept of the communication network too is remember that frames were proxies, right? Right. So if you want a quick proxy, seven minutes delay, that's that's no go. Like, you know, if you're proxying into something and you're actually you're actually controlling it like a, you know, like what we well, think of frames seven minute basically delay. seven minutes till, i mean jesus christ you lag out on destiny for two seconds and people lose their mind well that's what we have with the robots on mars currently i was right right say, but that's what i mean it's like, about, like opportunity right but, but what i mean is like it would make sense that they're going to bolster up their communication network because if they have proxy proxy frames they need mm-hmm. that communication network just to make sure that that actually works mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Additionally, now that I'm uh, kind of thinking about it, uh, green. Yeah. So, what kind of network do, do ghosts use for communication mm-hmm. and interstellar means? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We we never really got a a sidebar on that piece. We we also don't know about dead orbit and how they've been communicating or able to see some stuff like outer system. Uh, we know somebody was able to, we know one network was able to previously. Right. So I'm having a feeling that we utilize this current network of war sats a little bit more than the Vanguard wants to let on. Yeah. I think it's just the Rasputin took, retook control of the war sat network. No, because he's deploying his own new one. Yeah, right. yeah. Well, that's yeah. The, in, the, in Warmind, that's what he's doing, mm-hmm. right? Because that was the entire reason for us to open up the last array. Because right. per that reasoning, Dead Orbit wanted to connect to stuff outside, not knowing that that at last array also housed where Rasputin was already sitting. They had like no reasoning or or idea to end up thinking that it was like linked back to him. So that hmm. was the that's that's hmm. the off chance okay. side piece on that one. But right. yeah, and, it's it... or sorry, Black Flag brings up the point too. Inside hmm. of uh, Destiny Two, they are sitting there looking at a sat feed. Right. Right. Yep. And they they say how the satellites are are all gone and whatnot. Yeah, I uh, huh, huh. Justin. I wonder if that's like about the time that uh, Rasputin might have started to wake up. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, true. It's like it has it actually has nothing to do with Cabal. Rasputin was just tired of us just piggybacking. Blip. He, yeah, really. No. He was just like, nope, none of this anymore. Sorry, Justin. Go ahead. Oh no, you're you're good. 
I was just going to say uh, another big thing I got from that one was um, confirmation that um, the Rasputin's, Rasputin's logic expands past Asimov's model. Um, well, it's not like direct confirmation, but it's an it's a inference that, uh, you know, that the implications of making Rasputin truly autonomous would would lead to expanding past Asimov's laws of robotics. Mm-hmm. Interesting that you bring it. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, was interesting say. that you brought. That's machines, what I was trying to do. Machines and morality. <laughs> um, so this is the ghost scan from Alton Dynamo Mars, and I think this is is this Alton Dynamo the first one or is yeah this is the first one, uh, and this yes. is in I think the similar I'm trying to remember where this one is I don't remember where this one anyways it's Alton Dynamo it's in the, that crazy labyrinth of a maze. Um, and it says machines and morality within five decades, we hope to relinquish full autonomy of our defense network to Rasputin, but can we trust an artificial intelligence to make the moral decision? Would you like to know more? So it goes on to say autonomous vehicles were first built at the dawn of the millennium prior to which there were over a million automobile related deaths per year. AI programmers at the time found themselves confronted with moral quandaries that were once mere experiments in thought. A self-driving car on a collision course that kills five people has but one viable alternative, a new path where one innocent bystander is killed. For a machine to make a decision on whether to divert its course, its creators must undertake the impossible task of assigning an objective value to an individual human life. It turns out that the ethical implications of artificial intelligence are a great deal more complicated than Asimov's law of robotics led us to believe. The engineers of Clovis Bray conceived a solution during the development of our Warmind project. By relegating ethical decision-making to a black-box morality system, the Warmind instruments instruments its own proprietary virtue quantifiers incomprehensible to even its own creators. Rasputin determines morality on its own terms, and by design, we are blind to that process in order to preserve its objectivity. So much wrong with this entire concept, because it just bugs me. Because basically, first off, Asimov's Law of Robotics uh, were super complex, and fully deal with the ethical implications of artificial intelligence. So that was the entire point, especially the zeroth law. Um, and basically to sum up what they are saying is we couldn't make up our minds on the, the, the uh, objective value of a, a, a individual human, human life, life. So we just dodged the bullet and made the, the robot do it instead. Therefore we just washed our hands completely and let it go is basically well, they- what they just said. Right, with that's the that's what your uh, trolley problem. The easier problems were the one where you didn't have to physically make the choice or physically push the person. Well, no, they're, the the choice is still being made. They're just right, refusing. They're refusing to play with it. Right, but the problem they're is, the ones is walking that away. Right, and that's that is, and and I guess my, and this is my moral frameworks, you know, showing here is that is. By not making a choice, you are making a choice. Like you can't, you don't get to dodge. You don't get to dodge that that ethical bullet. What they're doing is they're allowing a machine to quantify human life. Whereas By, when we're and, when when we're trying to do that problem, like you put it to us earlier, 
it's the we're unable to quantify the worth of a life versus five lives because you're still killing a life or you're still right. choosing oh, to kill a life. Right, right. And and the thing is, is like I understand. I, I guess here's here's the here's the real problem that I have with this entire this particular entry. It's not what they did because I understand what they did. I, I get that. And I actually mm-hmm. don't have a problem really with what they did. It's how they describe why they did it. Because basically in that last section, they said they're relegating ethical decision-making to a black box morality system. And then basically we don't know what happens after that, but it's not our fault. You, you see this in some of the other other cards too. Oh yeah, no, 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 no. I, like, I mean, it's it's the hubris of the golden age. I mean, by by no stretch of the imagination, it is definitely that. And this is this is ultimately kind of tying back into uh, Pajari's uh, philosophy of what happened with the golden age and like his his entire thing of the darkness was a corruption. Mm-hmm. Like, and I mean that's that's a different conversation, but the. It, again, I, I kind of go back to it's not it's not what they did. It's the reason why they did it that I have a problem with. If that makes sense, like I get oh, yeah. why I get why they did it. And I and I actually don't have a problem with what they did because they are correct. They need to they need to program Rasputin if they are fully you know investing in this war mine, you know, problem or this war mine solution to the problem. They need to enable it to be able to make a decision on its own and enable and teach it. You know, I mean, I'm going to kind of step back into reality here for a second. This is just like being a parent. You you teach your child how to make decisions on their own because you're not Mm -hmm. always going to be there to help them. And if you don't teach your child how to make those decisions on your own, you're actually doing a disservice to the child and to society in general because you aren't always – I mean, that's that's natural – order is you aren't going to always be there for them they need to understand how to do this on their own in the same in the same realm ai the concept of ai i 100 percent am uh, like behind fully autonomous ai like i get the purpose of that i understand that it's going to be uncomfortable like you have to do but basically that conclusion that i got from this part is like they dump it on like they dump it just feels like they're dumping everything on Rasputin and then being like this is us washing our hands and if it kills your parents you know we're not liable sorry well isn't there a card later on where they talk about our commander Rasputin yeah it's uh it's one of the um uh it's one of the Braytech uh armor pieces and yeah in that I also have a huge problem with that card too because mm-hmm. it's like the sheer laziness of that individual who's speaking. Like I get it, but again, it's the hubris. It's the it's the um, I it's can't the I can't. Nothing can ever happen to us because we've well, got this it's it's the it's the um, it's the the inflated sense of false security. I guess mm-hmm. um, you see it, and this is you know I've I've said this before. You see it a lot with very far de- very advanced developed um, cultures. Uh, the primary example, again, being Rome. Rome had this, ex- like, almost, like, not the exact context, but the attitude was very, very Roman. Rome got to a point where they were 
just paying everyone else to deal with the problems. Well, that right. works great until the people you're paying decide, well, that's not enough. <laughs> We're just going to take your stuff because then you don't have anything. And I, and it's not a, a clear, it's not a one-to-one ratio or one-to-one example here because I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not what happened with Rasputin. But the attitude is what I have a problem with because it's, it's, I don't know. It, it's, um, it's philosophical laziness in my mind, I guess, is the easiest. That's not like the best way to say it, but that's probably the best way to express it. Um, mm-hmm. They are they are using the creation to completely sidestep a problem that should not be sidestepped. And that just, to me, to me personally, this is just my personal opinion, uh, you know, projecting on the psychology of a made-up engineer um that's just that's it just sets me off as far as that yeah. but green well, you are livid yes i am i yes yes thank you it's well, just it's definitely they're deferring uh the the responsibility and the liability yeah it's it's the liability piece i think that really irks me the most to be honest cuz again i don't i I also don't agree with their assessment of law of robotics, but that's that's an entirely mm-hmm. different debate. Um, it, it's just, I mean, that last but this, the last segment is what I mean. I'm on. I'm, that's it. Just makes me want to hit something. Well, it shouldn't. It shouldn't because it actually comes back to a couple things that we sort of know about the travelers is uh, even from bits and pieces that we kind of know of with. Uh, what we have written in the Books of Sorrow, we start to find that a lot of civilizations start to become more codependent on That's what fair. things it is that they're making. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we do see this actually with something like the Braytech Osprey. Uh, the Braytech Osprey is, I think, the one you guys were kind of referencing here, and I'll read that over real fast. Uh, expected use time frame unknown is its uh, flavor text, uh, which I kind of find funny because it looks like the Osprey's in the city. Uh, Anyway, the text itself reads, Did you know anything uh, strange? Uh, did you find anything strange about the latest Warmine Ashes? Not really. What's the issue? Something just seems off. What kind of enemy is this intended for? Oh, yeah. Isn't yeah, that the whole the, point yeah. of the Warmind? It knows better than we do. We just do what it tells us to do. <laughs> and you're okay with that? Heck yeah. My job's even easier. been even easier. I have more time for the kids. Take this seriously. We're building weapons here, not toys. You worry too much. Now, additionally, if we look back at the uh, the black box, which is the uh, transcript we were looking for from Anna when she was actually working with Rasputin, uh, I want to actually read this down a little bit quickly just to say that not all of the, uh, especially with the, the fifth entry or the final transcript four entry, uh, I don't think that all of them felt the way that Blue's kind of describing, but there were certainly some over there that felt that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Willa was probably a major component of that, I have a feeling, because of events that we all uh, kind of have discussed previously. But Transcript 3 says, and I, I do want to read this whole thing because I think it's very pertinent to what we're talking about here. Uh, I'm making significant progress with Rasputin as regards... Uh, as regarding the concept of value judgments. Obviously, that's something artificial intelligence isn't set up to tackle, but we need Rasputin to be able to make that leap. 
Here's a hypothetical. Say Rasputin has to redirect a malfunctioning Warsat, and there are only two paths for it to take. One will breach the hull of a one-seed planet jumper, instantly <laughs> killing its pilot. The other path will disable a Venusian uh, pleasure craft, leaving its inhabitants alive, but certain to die of starvation before they can be found. To my surprise, when given it its problem, uh, this problem, Rasputin actually rendered a verdict. I'm not going to tell you what it is, because I want you to enjoy your next Venusian pleasure craft trip. <laughs> Rasputin... Rasputin continues to develop by leaps and bounds. In an initial uh, initial trial simulation, he successfully interrupted the meaning of corrupted, borderline, incomprehensible data from a damaged warsat. This is exactly the sort of function we need him to uh, need him to fill. But that wasn't the amazing part. The mind blower was that without proof, evidence, or conscious re- uh, reasoning. Rasputin sensed which Warsat was in trouble. You heard me. Rasputin has developed intuition. I wish he could celebrate with me. Now this, of course, all leads up to the uh, the ending with uh, Nascent 5-5, uh, five five, which I forget the uh, the diary log of now off the top of my head here, and I think I closed it like an idiot. Uh, I think it's Ghost Synapse? Yeah! Hey, look at that. My memory's still working. <laughs> Um, the, basically all that it goes over or kind of talks about is that, uh, Anna has, uh, basically finished up all of her work and it's at least towards the end here that it's a, a fairly bigger deal. Uh, his voice is unlike anything that has ever existed. It is both haunting and lovely. It is also terrifyingly efficient. He's also begun upgrading more sets with new capabilities of his own invention, and I'm not entirely sure what those abilities are. It's exactly the goal we were striving towards, this level of autonomous control, and I know I should be celebrating. My work here is done, but it occurs to me that there's one existential concept I never taught Rasputin. Trust. And even if he trusts us, are we 100% certain we can trust him? And this is just to kind of line back to it all to again just say that not every uh not everybody felt the way that Blue I think is outlining. Like Anna mm-hmm. understood the gravity of the situation, but mm-hmm. it seems like higher ups ended up just going, Nope, just wipe our hands and move on and just be done with it. Because I don't know anything like corporations today that kind of fit that exact <laughs> bill or anything. Uh liability. Yeah, yeah. Who who does that with drinking water? Uh, well, I mean, we even have that with cell phones. Right. And I guess say between any anything that is either mass produced, continuously built, or otherwise falls into that category. What? Note Let's seven. Be honest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. You know the 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 whole concept and and base idea of like how Clovis Bray put itself together doesn't show itself in a very good light when you end up. Uh, coming up with concepts like these or or starting to line them back towards either deliberately pushing out the laws of robotics or otherwise like it's a you it's know, a it's a serious question of of ethics a, like a really blatant example of like what the, happens in in a pop culture movie here's mm-hmm. my movie reference for the night the scene in <laughs> Wally yeah <laughs> yeah they're, they're on the ship yeah is it disney 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. 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 I think no, it is. Wally yeah. Pixar. Yeah. Oh. Put... Yeah. Well, hey, hey. Love, there's my Disney I reference. Wally. But like yeah. them on the ship. 2008 with the Disney donuts. Oh my gosh! They're they don't they can't sustain themselves. They have to be taken care of. They've yep. assigned all their responsibility to this machine to take care of them. Auto. They can't even hit their own. They can't even hit their own golf balls. Right. They can't even get their own drinks. Yeah, just just the whole premise of that. How Wally is supposed to be, you know, taking care of the garbage, and it's just like, where does the garbage go? It can only go one place, and that's still basically the mass of Earth. So. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about other computer science stuff? I mean, always. Yeah. Can uh, I th- can I just bring up the the greatest advancement in uh, AI <laughs> technology in all of in all of Destiny, real quick? Yeah. Okay. So, apparently, apparently Anna Anna Bray's Anna Bray's work with Rasputin, the uh, what does she call it? What's the field? Is it crypto linguistics or, uh, um. Uh, I think it's crypto linguistics. I think you're right. That sounds right. Uh, I, she all, says, "If you want to insult me, that's what she." Yeah, 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 and and apparently that's what I want to do. So, um, all of her hard work in crypto linguistics finally <laughs> paid off because she managed to get Rasputin to tell a joke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here it is. Ready? Yup. Two quantum entangled particles walk into a neutron star. One said, Could you point me towards the soap radio? I really want to know why that's funny. It's not. It's not. It's, it's clearly a work in progress. But, yeah. But, but, that's what's funny all about I, it. All I, can, all, I can hear, all I can hear in the background now is Rasputin going, Ah, ah, ah. Uh. <laughs> no, you have to have like that gravelly Russian. Yeah, well, yeah, I can't, I can't do that on command. Need, but like, need... you know, like the the AI, like classic AI laughter. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my gosh, that's well, all I can I hear the, when I read read that. Yeah, I thought you the, were the the joke is actually it's that is what a being with zero context of humor <laughs> would come up with as a joke. Um. And that's after reading, reading Shakespeare and and reading great works of literature and readings not the right word. Process. Well, it's like it's but, like uh, when you get your you know you're a really young kid who, te- who like you their first jokes, you know their first jokes. I, I I love my my child, but the first jokes are terrible. Like yeah, that's they're, not they're, a, they're a material. <laughs> it's they're they're they're. <laughs> If they make sense, they're a success, okay? Let's just put it that way. And let's be clear, there's a difference between bad jokes and so on and, and dad jokes. Oh, okay? yeah, dad jokes are just amazing. I don't sure. know what you're talking yeah, about. Dad jokes are great. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Why did the thesaurus stop talking to the dictionary? Because they had a difference of opinion? No, because they had words. Uh. <laughs> oh, did you figure it out, Green? I did. There's actually a real thing about it. Green figured out the joke. She's smarter than all of us. No, I just, I Googled faster than you three because you're chatting. That's probably, that was like, because we're talking dad jokes. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm gonna and say, let, leave us be. We don't get this often, yes. so you hush. <laughs> Pretty much. So, no soap radio is a form of a practical joke and an example of surreal comedy. The joke mm. is in reality a prank where the punchline has no relation to the body of the joke. That is, it is actually not funny. But participants in the prank pretend otherwise. The effect is to either trick someone into laughing along as if they get it, or to ridicule them for not understanding. (laughs) So he was telling a practical joke, or he was telling a joke as a practical joke to Anna, Mm -hmm. which is kind of brilliant. We need to shut this thing down. We need to shut this thing down. Oh, yes. If he's that nuanced, I was gonna <laughs> that's pass. impressive. I was going to say if he picked up on that. Good, good job, Sonny. But yeah. yeah, and I just played along. You're right, Saint. I just played along, laughing. And, oh God! You know, honestly, you just described like every joke I ever tell. To be honest, but yeah, <laughs> it happens. So, do you want to read the actual? It's the other Alton... No, is it the Alton Dynamo? Uh, yes, it's Alton Dynamo 2 is the processing power one. Clovis Spray is pushing the limits of computer science and engineering to secure humanity's future. Our Warmind project is a groundbreaking defense AI. Would you like to know more? The Warmind is a crowning achievement in human engineering. Utilizing the latest techniques in quantum and, and in grant... <laughs> in gramic computing to create a neural network of unprecedented processing power. Artificial neural networks are probabilistic systems that rely on a method of error calculation known as backpropagation. They are good at pattern recognition, but must be fed correct inputs to be properly calibrated. In the past, one could create a neural network able to identify a feline or canine when given images of these animals, but it would never be able to find a useful application for that knowledge on its own. The approach with Rasputin was to create a nested neural network that could not only detect patterns on a small scale, but recursively find patterns among all of its data. The end goal for this machine is for it to see things in a way that humans cannot, and thus predict and eliminate threats before we know of them. Whew, some tough words in that one. Yeah. Okay, Blue. It's Neural Raspberry Networks. Pi. Yeah. Okay, explain the reference for people who don't oh, know okay. that. Oh, okay, so a Raspberry a <laughs> Raspberry Pi, sorry, a Raspberry Pi is it's amazing, <laughs> but it's also like an itty-bitty little processor chip that basically is a full computer. You can basically program them to do whatever you want them to do, and they're they are usually like single, um, really like single things. Like a lot of times, what you'll see them is like in smart houses. It's a very popular mm-hmm. area that you see them in, uh, and they're very cheap. They're mm-hmm. usually very very cheap, and I think you can actually can't you beard can't you make them pretty easily. You can. There's actually some uh, very simple supplies that you need in order to actually put them together in a little soldering know-how uh, but they really are are not that expensive uh, they're super uh, super easy to network they're super easy to communicate with uh, they have multiple functions per board that you can program into them 
uh, either for Wi-Fi or otherwise. Uh, to give you an example of like how far their reach has gone, uh, they are able to utilize technology that is able to uh, scan through the atmosphere and so on with uh, weather balloons and such, mm-hmm. uh, and send that data back down towards Earth as well. So these small little chips are able to do a lot of very miraculous things, and they're they're I think even used by Boeing for their mm-hmm. uh, their massive drone sets that they have. Yeah, it's they have very like these... it's very popular in drones. Like that's the yes. that's the one because it it's so light. It's it's you have right. like the basically you have the full uh, ability of a computer, and it's I mean it it's itty bitty. Um, oh yeah. So I mean, like, there's, there's just, I mean, the the possibilities with Raspberry Pis are really actually quite, quite limitless. Um, yeah. But so, the other side, of, like the advancement here though, is not just having those Raspberry Pis, but having them be able to think meta. Mm-hmm. Well, think outside it, of the box. Well, it's the, it's, it's the, the networking capability yeah. between mm-hmm. them as well, like being able to having a function that can link like that is not something that we've had necessary ease with without like really pushing a programming factor in mm-hmm. and that's what makes the pies so interesting is how they were and and granted most of it is like a linux based operating system so again go figure uh you mm-hmm. know linux mm-hmm. is a more open ended system it's a little bit more open source uh i forget exactly which designate they run it off of but i can uh, i know that they've yeah they they've come out with like so many different versions of them uh, seriously, if you want to play with them, I think that they have them as low as like twelve dollars, mm-hmm. and they're like upwards of like forty-five for some of the more quote-unquote advanced ones. But if you just want to buy one for like a weekend project and just play around with it, there is seriously no harm in like screwing with it. Also, this episode is not sponsored by Raspberry Pi. Just to put that out there, <laughs> it's just uh, a funny word they... to throw into a conversation. Oh. I'm going to say, you say it, and everybody just kind of looks at you and goes, what? Right. Like, you, <laughs> like, you really don't know about this in computing? I, like, how much of a computer nerd are you? I and thought you, you guys were pie-ish? joking earlier. It's like, oh, no, I've never no, heard of yeah. these. Oh, it's no. like, oh, my yeah, gosh. These are things. So, they're so cool to watch, too. Like, it's like well, talking about um, pie holes and raspberry yeah. pie. <laughs> so, and okay, like, okay. To to be fair, the pie hole, the pie hole one was one that I just learned about today. Of course, now I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm gonna go probably find one because it ba- <laughs> basically what you do for the for that particular one. That's a that's a specific raspberry pie that's designed to. It's basically it's it's called a pie hole because it's an ad black hole. So what right. you do. Well, yeah. So basically, what you do is you plug your entire ISP cord into the house. You plug it into that, and then you plug your routers into the Raspberry Pi. And when the internet link that information goes through the Raspberry Pi, it has in it the capability of filtering out all ads. Mm-hmm. I mean, just just think so about weird. that for a second. You can browse the internet, and you will never see an ad. Yeah, it's it's smart enough to pick up on what packets are are ad it's related. Just, yeah, it, I just I mean yeah. it, it boggles it boggles my and and when you see a Raspberry Pi like when if you go on if you just <laughs> go, Google com, Raspberry Pi computer and like it's just I mean it's the most disconcerting thing at first because they are so freaking tiny. Mm-hmm. The only reason some of them are so big is because they have the ports on them. Like that's yeah, the legitimate yeah. reason the, uh, that they the, need to have the, a little size behind the them. pie hole is so big because it has to have an Ethernet port. Like it, it's like yep, the exactly. Ethernet port is actually bigger than the uh, the process the the pie. Then 
wow. than the machine. Yeah, yeah it's, that's that's what's miraculous about them. Uh, and, and to actually so. go back to to that representation, like there are a couple websites that are out there right now. I don't remember their names, but they're able to utilize these functions. And we're we're still completely on the topic of Rasputin, as stupid as this sounds, and and like how all this connects, uh, just t- by talking about these things, because like where we're at right now, and how how even evolved these little stupid boxes are. Uh, but it's just a matter of, uh, like, especially with the, the pie hole idea, uh, these websites are actually grabbing a hold of these, uh, these ad, uh, this ad information, and they're able then to redistribute that ad information that they capture to the website out to different creators. And if you use, like, different ad plugins and everything, it'll actually get the, uh, the funding that went one way that basically went to the the websites that are handling it they then redistribute it back to the creator of your choice which yeah. i i think is super cool uh but it's a way to actually control ad revenue if you will a little bit more uh <laughs> to to some degrees which is both terrifying uh i don't know how legal it is but anyway uh <laughs> we're not going to get into that particular conversation because mm, that's uh, number two i was going to say that'll that'll get into something completely different then uh i haven't heard that it's been shut down it's been going on for like two years and it's widely popularly known so i guess it's okay it follows some guidelines uh but the the other one going back to my other idea or what i mentioned before about boeing they're using those drones they have these pods that they that they have. I forget the dimensions of them, but they'll actually pop open, and they'll have like two to three hundred uh, small, uh, very very small drones that they've actually programmed that are all networked together, and they carry out flight shows. Uh, and really, yeah. if they lose right. the they things, the Olympics. Yeah. Yep. If they if they lose the things, they don't care. Uh, because one of these drones only costs them like 50 cents or 25 cents to make. Uh, but the fact that they're all networked together and they're pretty well using the Raspberry Pi idea is just fantastic. Uh, but that's the kind of level that you're you're sort of working with here to uh, build up these kind of systems and to create them. But I've, I've loved the idea of Raspberry Pi since like the first idea. And I think they've been around since like what, uh, 2003 or yeah, four? They've like been they're, they've been a around while. a while. Yeah, they've and, been around. And it a used while. to be the the thing is is like with the pies especially, it used to be you had to build your own. Like yep. they did there wasn't there wasn't really a a market. And then people started doing like the pie hole, the the smart house smart houses are really actually where a lot of them are coming into play. Uh mm-hmm. and drones. Drone now that drones are kind of the the uh can i guess consumer I, it's more mainstream to own drones like it's not like uh, you don't have to be like super special um yeah drones wow. are are powered like the whole uh you know green like what you're saying about the um uh, olympics with the drone like that is entirely that's that's all done by the pie concepts um yep. and so once that started taking off now you can actually buy uh individual pies instead of having to build them and that's where they've really kind of taken off but yeah it used to be like way back like i think it was like 2002 2003 um you we we first heard about them um because i remember talking about them in a couple computer classes about like how we were gonna possibly build them because it was around the time with like linux and stuff um Mm -hmm. 
so yeah, but yeah, it, it's 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 oh gosh, and that that uh, and actually talking about cool computer stuff. The other thing t- when we were talking about engrams is data crystals. Yep, like that's the other really big thing that's happened quite recently. Actually, that 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 is actually a development that happened last year, year before, something like that. Because I know that like uh, Hitachi's been working with right, uh, yeah, data glass and everything a little bit more, but now they're kind of pushing the the medium a little further because the the thing with data crystals is it what is it it quadrupled the life expectancy of the data or something like it was something ridiculous like well with with magnet of course like here's the here's a dumb thing if you don't realize uh this piece because speaking of like how engrams are are again so important to like how everything is in the destiny universe and how they're able to like hold all this information for as long as it is the large majority of information that we have today uh that is either recorded or kept around in terms of uh either like full data from computers etc is put onto your typical good old-fashioned medium of uh of tape and i mean cassette tape magnet tape and this stuff is (laughs) failing it is getting to the point where it is not going to be able to be something that we can utilize you know how vhs if you're old enough to remember vhs was and is the good majority of vhs tapes are at their life expectancy or very much approaching it it is another reason that stuff like Game Boy games are also losing their availability for their memory and otherwise because of either small batteries magnetism or otherwise Rip. that's why we've yeah especially for those uh but that's why we've been trying to develop some some different forms of like holding and uh how we've how, how they've kind of said here with the the core terminus entries too how we've met our limits for like what we can stow that's why hard drives are such a big deal because we have means that though they are slow and tedious processes they can be recovered even if they fail uh, that's why solid-state drives are also a very big medium, because they have a much lower chance to fail. Uh, but for full-storage media, Hitachi, a, a company you don't generally hear about, uh, has been working on like data crystals, data glass, and a few other bit, uh, bits that are out there to stow most of this information. Like Storage of information has become paramount to what we are all about as humanity. Because, one, we like to write stuff down. I am key to that. Uh, Two, we like to be able to reference back to it often. uh, But we are losing the capability to hold that information on the older, quote-unquote, ancient ways that we've been using. So we now have other means that need to kind of take over. Uh, One of those ways, though, has been the, the... uh, the data crystals, though, that Blue's kind of referencing, I know, and there's a few a few other mediums that I've been hearing about, too, that they're going to be working on, but I know that they're just kind of improving on the situation. But we're going from, the to, to more my point, uh, we're going from like a 50-year life expectancy on some of these things that can hold our, our info uh, to looking at either uh, the, the hope of indefinitely or more the hope of like hundreds and hundreds of years yeah because uh, i've heard crystals any... crystals are like in the hundreds yeah i think last i had heard like the 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 glass slivers were able to hold it for somewhere in the vicinity of like five to six hundred 
uh, and maybe the crystals are capable of a little bit more because uh, I know that that's the the next advancement that they've been kind of working with. Which, by the way, is very Halo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and these these things can also hold a larger amount of information than yeah. what we've been able to use on <laughs> silicon chips. Just to say that, it's well. amazing. the The problem is more so uh, like what we had with like HD DVD and stuff like that, uh, and some of the other uh, a green ray. Does anybody remember oh, green God. ray when that was going to be a thing? So. Just to touch on this base a little bit, we've had the ability to stow information at a higher uh, storage medium and rate for a very long time. The problem is, is that it's very expensive. So to have readers that could actually process what is on uh, these data crystals and uh, data glass uh, splices is something close to like the couple million mark right now for just a, a reader, let alone a writer. So having a computer based off of that capability is not going to happen anytime soon. The same thing happened with GreenRay because everybody speculated Xbox was going to use that instead of uh, Blu-ray because Xbox, of course, and their color with green. Uh, the problem is, is that one of those players at the time when they were making the Xbox 360, was, was it 360? No, the, uh, the Xbox One, yeah, yeah, uh, was, was Xbox that they... One. It, the problem is is that at that time it was $18,000 for a mm-hmm. single player, and that was a low-end estimate. That's not even saying that they that could was do bulk. much of anything else with it. Yeah, like that's ugh. Gah. Like that is how <laughs> that is like how, like everybody was like, oh, that's a great idea. No, it isn't because if you want to spend twenty grand on an Xbox, feel free. I'll be passing on it immediately. We already had that with the 599 US dollars from Sony. Uh, anyway, the <laughs> largest thing to just pull from this is just the simple idea that we are really uh, passing on uh, different means of networking as well as also being able to hold information. And if they were able to just to, to stress like where they've they've kind of put destiny at, this is the level that they're at right now. Like that's how advanced they are in comparison to to what we've been able to measure and do. Like, engrams don't seem like they have an end date. That's something that's huge for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for them to actually figure that out for the sake of, like, stowing weapons and sparrows and even ships, apparently. Yeah. Well, and, you know, yeah. talking about storage of information, too, that's kind of a good look at uh, the index, right? Yeah. I was going to say, I'm supposed to read this one. It hasn't been like <laughs> I've been trying to, like... Wane off the idea that I want to read. It might be this. This might be a topic that we kind of know a little bit about and are actually kind of passionate about. Oh, by the way, by the way, the the data crystal they they uh, saved the the King James Bible on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're saying they're saying will last will last billions of years. That's what I thought. God, and it it's a wafer. That's yep. about uh, maybe an inch and a quarter in diameter, and yep. it can save 360 terabytes of data. Wow! So, yep. so to put that in terms of Destiny players, as uh, a Shay is saying in chat, that's more vault space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and, I'm gonna say that's that's like what Dido's been, you know, the, wait, the entire wait, wait. proprietor of. How much data would it take to? actually make an engram like if you were to mathematically create an engram it depends it would depend 
I don't I don't know. Maybe it would create a Hilbert space. Well, that's a lot of data. Because you're yeah, you're it depends. On, in, I think it depends on also. There's that, and it also depends on what your ingress is, right? I right. Mean, the ship is obviously going to be more. Well, we know that the higher level, like the common the Bob, engrams, yeah. are not complex at all. Right, because so we can we can decrypt them. Code. Right. Well, Versus... there 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 are common level ships though as well that can pop out from some of those common level engrams. Right. Uh, Whereas the higher level things you, like the exotics are more data or more intricate. They they have more behind them, I think. Um, Let's think about like Shadow Trespass for an example, actually, or Eon Trespass more specifically. The or fact that that just... what's that? No. No. Okay. <laughs> the the fact that Elsie uh, had the uh, the black plating that was on Eon Trespass, which then turned to Shadow Trespass. Mm-hmm. Uh, if Shadow was in fact her only version of that uh, that was built up to be like more of a stealthy version. We have something similar to that with like uh, stealth bombers and whatnot, either the B2s or otherwise. Right. Uh, but the, 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 granted, some of that comes down to the intricacies and how it was actually designed. Further, though, it comes down to either like drive systems or so on. Exotics are put into those areas and places because they have something, at least I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, because they are a little bit more complex in their engine. So if you think about it, Say, for instance, uh, Super Good Advice gets popped into an exotic engram. At that point, when it's decrypted and decoded, that exotic exotic engram also has to unpack not only the AI that is within Super Good Advice, but it also has to unpack the system of being able to transmit bullets back and forth between either uh, the ownership of uh, the Guardian or person that's using it, Mm-hmm. Or from the mischance of said guardian as well. So yeah, I think that's where you're you're on to that idea is the further up that they go in the chain, just the more complex that that equipment becomes. Right. And part of it too, we get so used to seeing legendaries and exotics only because that's a factor of, of course, uh, game mechanics. Meanwhile, the commons, the blues, the greens, those are still a piece that we will see that we will find out in the world. And a good majority of, like, documentation and whatnot is, especially, like, written, if it's full analog, I would probably surmise would be more found on a, uh, like, a standard built engram than it would be in, say, a a rare. Because it's not based on the information in clothes, it's just based on what it is, like, what it has to replicate and then rebuild. Mm -hmm. uh, Which is getting into SIVA topics now, and I shouldn't be saying that. Getting into SIVA topics, let's actually... I dive into that last concierge file. I was going to say, as I have completely derailed this conversation tonight. No, I brought it um, up. <laughs> uh, this one is the Aurora Reach uh, found over on Mars, of course. It is right outside uh, overlooking Rasputin's core system, uh, in case you need to remember where this one is. <clears throat> Valkyrie. Sleeper Simulant, Hades Flame, Aurora Knives. The weapons of the future are being developed by the Warmind Rasputin today. Would you like to know more? The goal of the Warmind project is to prepare our defenses for unseen threats. 
We are still learning to interface with Rasputin, but it's already in the process of helping to forge new weapons suited to protecting humanity. Communication with the Warmind has been a log uh, logistical concern from the project's inception, but the Hephaestus Index is a promising step towards cooperation with our new commander and protector. This catalog of next-generation weapons ranges from planetary cannons to small and mid-sized arms for use by ground infantry. There are currently over 150 projects in varying stages of research and development. By parsing data and performing calculations at a phenomenal rate, Rasputin is able to provide instruction in the form of math, the language of the universe. With Clovis Bray engineers and Rasputin working side by side, we can rest assured that our children will live in a prosperous, safe galaxy. So wanna read that while looking at all the bones at the Cosmodrome. Uh -huh. Yeah, I was gonna say. Uh remember back to some of the files that I got done reading over too between either uh the Braytech Osprey, uh, and the, the couple journal entries or diary entries that uh, Anna had had. Uh, obviously, we see a small disconnect between those that are uh, either closely related to the project, those that are more hands-off, that are trying to kick out uh, the uh, further, like, the, those that are kind of working on everything. Basically, they're, they're saying that the scientists have done a good job. Now, get out. We'll take it from here. Um, that's more where it sounds like even with his concierge file that we're kind of at with Rasputin. I think it's a good cherry on top to that discussion. Rasputin is teaching us at this point. Mm -hmm. Which is which is why, you know, some people can go home to their kids faster uh. and not have to think about it, right? Interesting. Uh. <laughs> I think we've uh, effectively made Blue mad this episode. I'm sorry. Uh, it's just, it's just the. Uh, I don't know. I don't know why it's, that bugs me so much. It is extreme. Excuse me. <laughs> it is extremely. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Irresponsible. Like mm -hmm. extremely. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we've only seen three of these weapons, right? We haven't. Have we seen Hades Flame? Oh, that's the debate, right? Whether yeah. or not we've seen it or not. I'm gonna say we're we're not sure on some of it. I mean, yeah. we know we've used Sleeper Simulant and Valkyrie Aurora yeah. knives. We've seen in Grimoire, and possibly in game. And we've possibly seen Hades Flames in that one mission right. where it the knocks one. off the taken goop mm -hmm. off of the traveling piece. But mm, the fact that Rasputin is able to create his own weapons at this point without really needing to do anything else, like input from anyone else, is interesting. Well, and it, I mean, right. I would say also, um, it kind of goes back to the debate of autonomy, right? Mm hmm. Just a very 
scary way to end the concierge files. Yay! Yeah, uh, assuming that these are the only ones that are actually, you know, around the facility. I know they're the ones that we can access, but now I'm wondering how much more is either hidden in places that we don't see or otherwise, because that's the the next question is what where else this tour would have taken them mm-hmm. if the facility itself is a little bit bigger than what we even see, like more than meets the eye. Well, uh, and the other thing with the uh, the index especially, too, is that those are only, what, four? I mean, there's hundreds. I'm going to say they, I, I think in the adventure they reference like it's... Uh, like 150? It's over, I want to say it's like yeah, over 150 or something. I, that's the number that keeps popping in my head. Me too. Yeah, I, I think that that's right. It's like 150 entries that Anna is able to at least look at and recover in that uh, in that adventure. The question is, too, that's the stuff that Rasputin is able to... Uh, or, or willing to show us how right, much of it does right, he yeah. actually have that's underneath further that we don't know about. Because I think this is the, like, this is to me the disconnect that's uh, that's often not seen. Like, Rasputin is letting us grab hold of some of this information. He's allowing us to take out Siva. He's allowing us to go into his files and kind of search through them. Because if he didn't want us there... He's proven time and time again through uh, other entries and instances. He has means that he'll go ahead and just chop us up and send us back home. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not chop, afraid chop. to do it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, like literally. Chop <laughs> <the older. laughs> oh. Rip. Uh, Rip Iron Lords. Well, the Iron Lords are different. They were just reanimated by Siva. We got the ability to chop them up. Uh so the what I'm basically getting at here is that the iron axe is the next slap chop. So there you go. <laughs> oh, you just changed my life. <laughs> I, know. I know. So Green, I know uh, we got a dispatch this week too, right? To kind of move to force force that move on. Yeah, from Cal Nine. Dispatches received from the wilds. So our dispatch came in from Cal Nine. It is a, um, and I I don't even know how to say this. It's like a little a mini. It's not a poem or anything like that. It's just like an entry. And he said, "I've stared into the machine and seen an inevitable, forsaken future. My friend and companion since the beginning of my second life will be taken from me, and re- and in return I too shall take." For the sake of those I've inspired, don't come looking for me. Don't follow the trail of blood and fire until long after the smoke had cleared. Whether it be Dreg, a prince, a queen, or a king, my wrath will feed without prejudice, and it'll devour the starlight and dark alike. Which, ironically, if I remember correctly, he sent this to me before the Cade 6 trailer dropped. Oh this was this was sa- shadows of your related. Oh, okay. Kalman is a wizard. Uh, I'm gonna say he's got uh, some prophetic vision, just like I did for my uh, my recent guardian school there. Because I still feel like a jerk with that one. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I got this. I got this last Wednesday. Is when he sent this in. Wow. Good job. Yeah. So. 
so not not only that, but he uh, he also referenced, you know, a little a little bit more. Where where is it here now? Shoot, yeah, uh, he he was like for, spot on, right? Yeah. Well, unintentional. He says, "For the sake of those I've inspired, don't come looking for me." Is this and of a course bungee the, account? Yeah, really. I don't think so. If it <laughs> is, I I mean. I've seen Cal around for a little while. Okay, he's on that long con. Yeah. <laughs> Justin's like, Got I respect it. you. It really. <laughs> right? But no, I, I, I think back to uh, Blue, you might get this one to Dead Space with the comic. Oh, where he yeah. says, don't come looking for don't me. Don't come looking for you me. might not like what you find. Uh, so sad. Also, fun, fun fact, Cal's picture in Discord is a Titan mark. So good job, Titans. I guess. Yeah. I really? No. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. I love yeah, the beards. Uh, like, ah, that's where my compliments end. <laughs> Actually, oh. have you looked at Savala recently? No. Anyway, let's go on to shoutouts <laughs> before we go down too much more tangent. <laughs> Green, what do you got for us? Do you want me to actually compliment the thing that we've all avoided this week? What? The faction rally week. Mm, I, I think no. we kind of. I think. <laughs> I think we kind of broke that bridge last week. Um, I think that everybody called it the moment that we saw what the uh, catalysts oh, yeah. were. What the, so, yeah. uh, I still, just, uh, I want to still say congratulations. Oh, um, thanks. I really like that. Welcome. I appreciate that. Yes, no, you're not. welcome. And I won, by the way. <laughs> yeah, but it's not a, it's not a good winning feeling, is it? But we all it lose. Doesn't feel, yeah, oh, is, right, it feels, it feels right? glorious. It feels glorious. I don't know what the hell you guys are talking about. You know, you know what, Blue? If you want to get <laughs> off my planet, you can get off my planet. We're trying, okay? We're trying. <laughs> Green, this is what happens when you wanted to talk about the action rallies, okay? I you did this. I just wanted to you congratulate no. Dead Orbit people you because did, I am not this. biased like you two. You did this. You did this. This is your fault. See, you say bias. I say discerning. (laughs) (laughs) And forced, forced into an awful, I had to switch the trolley onto the to the future war cult track. Wait, 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 wait. Can we just, we just make future war cult or the, the, the faction man. rally in the freaking trolley problem here? Yeah. So, Is that what we just did? Lakshmi's the fat man. Lakshmi's <laughs> the fat man? Oh. Did you both play Dead Orbit this round? Yeah. Uh, Justin did, I think. No, I went FWC again. I, I don't think I am a filthy traitor. I'm supposed to do, still. How am I supposed to do my graviton dance without my graviton lance, huh? <sighs> Beard, what about your shout outs then? Uh honestly, my largest shout out goes to Bungie. Because I have not seen this community blow up like that in a long time. Right? Uh you like I know that I brought them up a few times now, but it's because they've continuously made some very good moves. And I think that that needs to be called out a little bit more than some people do not like to talk about. Uh, In particular, I 
I, I understand the mixed feelings that come with the idea of showcasing the death of an individual that is extremely important to us over the course of the story. Uh, and I understand the ideas of, unfortunately, uh, you may have wanted to see that permeate into or uh, pour yourself into the game. But when we have not experienced, apparently, how that is actually going to happen, uh, I don't think anything is necessarily ruined just yet. So those in a in a in a tizzy about it yeah it's coming but that doesn't necessarily mean we know what's happening there's probably more than meets the eye which i think is going to become a transformers reference that i will love to bring up more often than not uh because when we start looking at individuals that are now coming back into the story there's probably a portion of the story that we don't know about because we've been disconnected from them for over two years now this is going to be the first time that we see them actually reintroduced, and that is going to play a very big and significant part into how we're, we've actually perceived uh, anything. I, I constantly think back to some of the Tolan cards that we've, uh, that we've had from the Dark Below and how they have changed over the last three years. We do not have the speckles of story yet that will actually combine to give us understanding, hopefully, on like what it is that's going on. Because they have been more relevant, like, looking back at uh, older Grimoire has been more relevant in the last, I would say, two months than it has been within the last several. This is getting to the point where we are starting to find that references are getting bigger and bigger. So, my shout-out being towards Bungie is, thank you for starting to use your material again, because it was desperately needed. Uh, secondly, thank you for causing a calamity within the community to get it Holy sparked and talking about, because that was a big deal. The amount uh, of tears shed alone. I was crying for two days. <laughs> like, it was all, like, if you wanted to see a bearded man cry, you could have just, like, seen this. It was, it was terrible. Uh the the fact that people are either if they don't like the game don't like where it has been going etc we're still talking about it in some way that still shows that they care whether they want to believe it or not so that's ultimately what you have effectively done and it has it has sparked some stuff i think within the community of those that are still around or those that are coming up next that is going to be just it, it's going to be big and I cannot wait to see what's going to happen in September. Uh, but that is my major shout-out. Otherwise, towards the guys over at Guardian Con who are getting a lot of stuff together, mm -hmm. uh, we don't know more of what's happening just yet because they haven't revealed a ton. Uh, but we do know that Bungie is going to be there. They're going to have Gambit. Uh, they've, they've allowed them to kind of show up to the, to the show, even though it isn't a Bungie show. Uh, but they want to they wanna pay for it. They want to be there. And I think that that is awesome to showcase their... Uh, respect to this community and their want to say, hey, you know, we, we still want to either earn your trust back if you want to look at it that way, or just say, this is what we got cooking for you. Come out, play test it if you want to. And if this doesn't sell you, then fine. Justin? Yeah. Yeah, what what Beard said. <laughs> um, With no, my long no. run-on sentence of, yeah, of like no, no. five minutes there. <laughs> I'm super excited for everything. Big shout out to Bungie for finally learning, finally learning that um, to get everyone's attention, just kill a beloved character. Oh, God. Um, yeah, yeah. And a uh, big shout out to Aldrin. Uh, I'll find you. 
I got two little friends and they can both run faster than you. Um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah. And, uh, just kind of reconnecting with some people. Uh, uh, big shout out to my, uh, my boy scrappy do. Um, I think he's actually hungry hunter on Twitter. Kind of had a little convo with him this week and also on discord fellow electron pusher little rabbit a three um a pretty good talk so yeah. and and then and then of course blue green and beard who else is gonna hold things down when i decide to take a nap um <laughs> yeah good times good times i have one more before you go blue if that's okay yeah do it mm-hmm. Shout out to the team that played last weekend in the tournament. Oh, yeah. Were, yes. Absolutely. Uh, the pod clash. We we won round one, went on to round two, had an epic battle against Danfinity in SideQuest Sunday. And we, that was so good. Oh, my God. It was so intense. I still am thinking about those matches. We, we went one and one because we played... Clash first round, <laughs> control second round. We won Clash, they won control, and then we went into elimination where there's no radar, and it came down to the very last match. We were tied going into the very last match, and they pulled it out. They did a great job. They moved on, and I think, I don't remember if they lost next round or not, but they were great sports, and everybody who helped with that, Little Rabbit was one of them. Um, Lux Regalia and Offline Gamer, Beard, Pins, all the guys who hopped in and helped during the week and helped train me during the week because I am am a grunt when it comes to PvP, so thank you for putting up with me, but thank you for playing. We raised, I think, at least double the amount that they were intending to raise for Guardian Con or for St. Jude, essentially. Yeah, that sounds right. Good job for you guys. Thank you for popping in and helping me out. I think, yeah, Shay ended up playing one of the rounds too. I think he played round one with us. So thank you to all of you in the community who hopped in and decided you're going to help us out to raise some money for St. Jude for that. So you guys are awesome. Uh, I also, in in regards to St. Jude, uh, big shout out to WTF Gaming. Uh, I believe they hit... 40,000 I want to say was what they mm-hmm. with Bife um for the St. June uh I think the I think it's just St. June um process or uh blah, 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 what's what's the word fundraiser. that I'm looking for fundraiser thank you man I just completely blanked on that um mm-hmm. so big shout out to them that that was like awesome awesome thing to watch uh and then also actually kind of a personal big shout out my wife who has put up with me for about 10 years uh so really big thank you for that and for letting me you know do the crazy things that i do so Mm -hmm. but yeah that's that's our anniversary yesterday yesterday was our 10 year anniversary yeah yes so so yeah she's she's put up with me you know <laughs> so, but yeah, so we'll run through uh run through an outro real quick here and then we'll we'll probably stay for a little bit of an after show. Um but yeah.
With that, we'll begin to wrap the chat up. Thank you again to those over on Twitch for coming to spend your evening with us. If you'd like to join us for the live streaming of the episodes, please be sure to give us a follow over on twitch.tv slash focusfirechat. Links to our episode archives can be found at www.focusfirechat.com. Please be sure to email us at focusfirechat at gmail.com with any comments or questions for our team concerning the podcast, and let us know how we're doing by giving us some feedback and a rating over on iTunes as well. Also, be sure to check out all of our amazing partner podcasts within the Guardian Radio Network over on theguardiansofdestiny.com. So until next time, focus your fire and may your light shine bright.